This is the Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps retired. Do you understand the actual purpose of the federal government designed by the Constitution of the United States? It is Friday, and I'm looking forward to this weekend, but I got a big show for you tonight. Dr. Dale Walker is going to join us here on the podcast. He is an awesome patriot and a great friend of mine, PhD in accounting, but makes even a better understanding. Lots of research in the government budget and the different departments that were created after this country was originally founded on the Constitution. And human beings have developed this bureaucracy that we call the federal government. Dr. Walker and I talk about how we as citizens can use a specific clause within the Constitution to fight and get our government back. That clause is called the General Welfare Clause. The welfare of the human beings in America is a responsibility of the federal government only as a level of enemies attacking us. They are not constitutionally allowed to dictate to us how we should live in a free society. Simple. Lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. I want to thank you very much. Dr. Dale Walker is with us today. He's an awesome friend of mine. He is an expert in my mind, at least from what I can tell. Very few people understand the ability to take the government budget, crunch all those numbers, compare it to what the government was designed to be when the country was created, and show us the downfalls, show us where we're failing as citizens to hold the federal government in accountability towards what the original process was. So without any further ado, I wanna introduce uh, Dr. Dale Walker. Thank you very much, sir, for being with us. It's a pleasure for you to be on the Patriot Cause. Thank you, bud. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm glad you're my friend. And uh, I am I am uh, really pleased to to do this. And it it the more I the more I have read uh, about this is the more I, I understand uh, what the founders really meant and what they what they wanted was a very limited government and. They were there were only um, eight services uh, that the federal government was supposed to be responsible for, and those were because uh, you had at that point thirteen colonies, and and there was no reason to have uh, thirteen currencies, uh, you know, thirteen of everything. Uh, so what their what their intent was to say that the government could have only these services because they, they uh, relate to uh, providing the same services to all 13 colonies, so there's no duplication. 
And then the, the rest of those services were up to the states. The, the, the federal government had very limited powers under the Constitution. And the rest of those services were to be determined by the states. And one thing that I, that, that I did learn that, that, that kind of helped me understand this was my study of genealogy and the fact that my, my, my family uh, came from Germany in 1733. And they were here during the revolution. They were also, uh, they, were, they were fought in the revolution and they fought in the Civil War. And the reason they came was the way that the reason the other immigrants came to America was to get out of Europe. Uh, Europe was, was just this one battle, one war after another. And they came here to find peace and, and raise the family. And, and, that, and that's true uh, of all of, those, uh, all of those people in those 13 colonies. They, just, they, they, wanted, they wanted peace, they wanted to raise their families, they wanted to worship God. Uh, and they just wanted the government to take care, uh, to defend them from uh, maybe another foreign country, Great Britain. Right. And uh, also they had the militias uh, were part of this, and, and that was to protect them from uh, another colony, another person, because they, they, like I say, they were from different countries. They didn't know each other. They didn't trust each other. And uh, that was one of the reasons. And, and the, the thing that that uh, that I read about is that in the Federalist Papers, it talks about uh, the size of the Federal Army was was to be one hundredth of the population of those mm -hmm. colonies, mm -hmm. which means that uh, at that point in time, they had a, their population was two and a half million. So hundreds would be a, a, a federal army of twenty-five thousand, <laughs> but the the uh, size of the militias in the thirteen colonies could be a half a million. Right. And they were all armed, so that would protect them not only against each other but also uh, a government that might get out of control. Well, the other the other part that uh, the other mentioning about this is the beginning of this country right mm -hmm. where people you have to imagine these people are coming across on these ships or coming from different parts of the world and they're settling and they're going out into these you know unsettled areas and they got to build a home they got to grow family and they got to protect themselves that's correct and over a probably about a 30, 40 year time frame, they realized that so many people and families were dying from, from the outside sources, whether it was the local Indians or, you know, like right. you're talking about pirates or bandits or whatever. And they're saying, there's gotta be some kind of way that we can protect ourselves so we can live our lives. And that philosophy was brought in uh, through the, founding fathers and said, okay, look, we just want the people to be able to live their lives. So we're going to take up as a federal government, the things that are necessary to protect them, right. not control them, not tell them how many kids they can have or how much you know food they can grow and who they can sell it to. Right. We're just going to keep the enemy from coming in so that they can prosper and be the colonies that, that we designed them to be. Right. Yeah, and then uh, the uh, <clears throat> in the Constitution, uh, the General Welfare Clause uh, has been—I uh, I, think—it's been misinterpreted and it's being used um, to create entitlements, and that's yeah. not—that's not right. It's uh, not the, the intent of it. The definition of welfare is the state of doing well, especially in respect to good fortune, happiness, well-being, or prosperity must look out for your own welfare. That's what that's for. It's not for the government to provide for your welfare. It's for you to, to, to provide your own, protect your family. And uh, that is also, uh, as far as the militia goes, that's also uh, because or it's backed up by the uh, Second Amendment. 
So how does how does this general welfare clause you, we're talking about? You got these different areas. You got the executive branch, the legal legal branch, uh-huh. and you know these departments of whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So does this general welfare clause state or specifically entail a vision of what this is supposed to be? No. And okay. Mm-mm. No, the uh, Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution uh, outlines uh, the services that the federal government is supposed to provide, and and it's the executive, the legislative, the judicial branch, uh, the Department of War, which they called it back then, uh, the, the Justice Department, or uniform laws throughout the for the thirteen colonies, Department of the Treasury. So you have one one type of currency. Uh, Department of State, so that it would it would it would have one government agency dealing with foreign countries and that sort of thing. And uh, the District of Columbia was kind of an afterthought, but that was for the for the centralized government. And the Department of Commerce was also uh, part of it to provide uh, uh, trade between the colonies. And, and so, if we were if we would have stayed in that envelope and not grown this which I'm sure you're going to describe and tell us how these different departments grown, right? Right. right. Then my understanding is the citizens and the states would actually have a lot more abilities to determine their lives and the protection of themselves within the state if the federal government as designed would have stayed within that general welfare clause. Correct. It's to do the fact of, of, you know, politicians and, and, me, me, people, self-centered, thinking about, well, if I can create this, then you know, I'm, I'm going to be in the history books. Yeah, and that's how I think most of us think that this has happened. So, right. Well, the only, the only department that was added after this was the Department of Agriculture, and I, I kind of understand why that right. one happened because it was after uh, the Civil War. Uh, and it was designed to help farmers get back on their feet and feed the country. And I, I understand that, but right. it should had it should have had a limitation on it. it should have been like yeah. ten years, something like that. Once but the it, mission was accomplished and we were back into an economic yeah. feeding ourselves again, then disbanded. Absolutely. Yeah, and and you got the Department of the Interior, uh, Department of Labor, Veterans Affairs, Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, Transportation, Energy, Education. Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Homeland Security. I mean, those those could all be handled by the states. There's, 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 just, there's just no reason for the federal government to have taken that over. And two, uh, in addition to uh, not meeting general welfare clause, there's also the Tenth Amendment uh, says the powers <clears throat> the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And we've been violating the 10th amendment. For a long time. With the addition of, the, of these of these services. Gotcha. So my, my uh, understanding of the way life was, even in this, you know, tyranny king environment, mm-hmm. families, People got old, just like they do today. They age, and they reach a point where they can't be productive like they were before. And therefore, the families took on that toll, took care of the elderly. One, it was a giving back thing, because when they were raising you as children and, and building you up and giving you skills where you can progress in life, and when they got older, do that. So I think all of these different departments that you're talking about has a lot to do with this mindset of going, you know, the government can now provide or do the things that really the families originally were doing in the first place. That's correct. That's right. And it, the, the best proof of that is when you have, I'm, I'm going to say it probably falls under the health and human services where you have these homes and facilities now. So when grandpa no longer can, you know, take care of himself to go, oh, I'll just put him over here in this little house or whatever it yeah. is. And, you know, I can still live my life and 
you know, so it, it's it's a, it's a different way of looking uh, at what I think the original Constitution was designed. Right. And it's, it's just blown out, completely blown out of proportion. It is. And if you if you look at the current budget uh, and you and you uh, use these original departments that the government is supposed to be running, uh, it, it comes out to be about a third of what our budget is now. Holy snipes. Yeah, it's like 1.7 trillion now as opposed to 4.6 trillion or whatever. I mean, it's, it's right. just, it's ridiculous. And absolutely. Yeah. And imagine if that, those services went to the states and those tax, federal taxes could be reduced to help the states. But I think the states could obviously could do a whole lot better job taking care of, 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 of those services than the federal government can. Well, absolutely they can because the, you know, liberty and freedom is the direct contact between you and the immediate representatives. Right. And your county board, your, uh, you know, local districts, your state representatives, those people are, are in your backyard. You know, you go and eat dinner with them, you know, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And who would know better how to take care of the surrounding people than, you know, those are. But that's not what power in this you know massive government system has created right fortunately we're seeing especially with the new administration we're seeing how a lot of states are pushing back and saying wait a minute just because you say x you know we're not going to do that you know we're, we're going to continue to take care of our people and do the things that uh, that are necessary to do so when you're right. talking about the budget you know, what, what is, how do you think we got to where we're at? And is there some kind of direction that we can go to correct, to, to at least make a, 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 an effort to try to get back on track? Well, I, I have kind of uh, done the numbers on it. And, and what I've done is to, is to show probably a 10 year uh, period to where those uh, say one one service a year is given back to the states <clears throat> over a ten year period, and, and eventually over a ten year period, the government would be back to a constitutional government, and uh, a lot would depend too then on 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 uh, how much of the the tax revenue at, at the federal level can go to the states to help them at least start to take care of their own people. And also, I mean, the federal debt is just, it's incredible. I, I, after a 10 year period, if we've got a constitutional government, we would have enough money to start paying on the debt. And that's what scares me about as much as anything uh, is not being able to pay that. And what happens, what happens if uh, we default on the debt? I mean, I, I, that's never happened before. Uh, but I, I, I just, I hate to think what, what that would happen, but if we could downsize the government over, over a period of years, uh, I think that's the key to it. Uh, of course, the first, first one on my list is Department of Education. I mean, the federal government has screwed up the school system so bad. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's, that's that, what I was going to say. That's that's probably the first one we really need. That was the to first have, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, you know, when they use this word reform, you know, reform this or reform that. Mm -hmm. What that tells me is, OK, so you're going to take what we have and try to make it better. Well, what if it's possible that it just needs to go away? What is the conceptual idea that we don't need to reform this? Right. We need to, to change the system so that the services are provided in the areas, in this case, the states right. within that environment and completely eliminate the federal government. Right. But that's not how federal politicians work. <laughs> they, they're like, I'm, I'm supporting my state, but I'm, I want to help reform the education system so it can better help my state. Well, the best thing you can do is just kill it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it. stop, stop 
you know, having the states send money to the federal government for education and just let them do it. Right. Well, you, you know, got, you got, you got 50 states, you got 50 different environments. You got different, uh, different makeup of populations, different needs within each right. one. And, and it, it, it's not fair for us in Arkansas to have to pay federal tax for a problem in California. Absolutely. You know, if, if, if we have a problem in Arkansas, we need to deal with it ourselves. And uh, that's kind of, I need to do some more looking into uh, those, what I call the non-constitutional uh, services to see uh, which which states would would uh, which states would be what how do I put it how much of that money uh, would be uh, for each state right so the, the conceptual yeah how unfair it really is right and, and the conceptual idea is. Great friend of ours, Randy Alexander, was a legislator in Arkansas, and he worked on the education part of the state. Right. And going back and forth to the Capitol with Randy, he explained to me exactly how this education process with the budgeting and all that stuff works. Mm -hmm. If the same conceptual idea is take X number of students in Arkansas, right? Just whatever the number is. Well, you know there's more students in California, right? Sure. So the conceptual idea is if if the state sent this money to the federal government, then the federal government would divvy it up based upon that population and the need. That right. is not how it works. No. The way it works is whichever states had the loudest mouth and quote the most need, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Then the federal government shifts more money to that state. So then they become more corrupt. And then it's just this never ending cycle. So Arkansas and other states that may be doing well or trying to do well with supplying what is necessary for the education, they can't because what I would consider a portion of the requirement to, to deal with the education system is being given to California and New York or whatever, unbeknownst to the state. They have no control over that. That's right. But if they, if there was like, if there was no dollars going to the federal and was up to Arkansas, so here's what initially would happen. Arkansas would probably be do pretty good initially. Would have yeah. problems, but New York and California would fall on their face. Yeah. Because they're they're way over budget. They're you know they're 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 spending way too much money in this an area in this area, and they're the students are actually getting less of a value than what Arkansas does. So. That's well, the importance of, of the education system in the states. Right. Well, one of the one of the studies I've done, I haven't completed it yet, but I went through the Arkansas Department of Education, and mm -hmm. I've gotten uh, all of their uh, numbers, and and I've, I've isolated how much of the budget is uh, Arkansas revenue, and how much of the budget comes from the federal government. And I want to see if. Uh, if if Arkansas could make it without that federal money, right? And and, and you know, it, 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 I don't know how many other states it would probably be the same as, but I, I was going to at least check with Arkansas and see uh, if if we could make it on our own if we just dropped the federal government completely out. Right. But I, I haven't finished that yet. Okay. But. Uh, so when you're talking, I mean, uh, a lot of us don't understand we're, when we're talking budgets. I was in the government for a number of years and the budget to me was just lines on a spreadsheet. So it's not like I had to look at my checkbook as a government employee, right? And say, well, I got to spend X number of dollars this month or whatever, right? Because if I went over budget, all I had to do was say, hey, it just cost us more to do what we needed to do this month. And they just okay. compensated for it, sure. right? Yeah. That's not how people understand a budget. People that understand a budget realize that you got X coming in, X coming out. If you've got more coming out than what's coming in, you're going to go bankrupt. Nobody's going to save your ship 
from sinking, you know, like that, like the federal government does. Right. So with that, so what is the, what is mandatory budget items when we're talking about these mandatory budget, how does the government look at mandatory budget? Cause we know on our lifestyle, you know, you got to have energy, you got to have food, you got to have a housing. Right. What is that? How does that work with the, the, the government? The, the mandatory budget items are, are enacted uh, by an, uh, an act of Congress. Uh, okay. Discretionaries are done uh, through the legislature, but they're not, it's not a, a have to kind of thing. I'm just beginning to, to, to get into that and see uh, how much of the spending is mandatory and how much is discretionary because even if you have uh, a discretionary item, uh, it should have a limit on the number of years that, it's, that it can be used. And, and I'm not sure. Uh, the one thing I'm looking at on the discretionary is if, uh, if it is for a specific service, uh, it may not be constitutional. Okay. Uh, so I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> okay. Understand. Understandable. Uh, one thing I did see was that federal grants are probably not constitutional because there's for a specific purpose and, and that's right. And they're using the general welfare clause to do that. And that's not right. So what I also learned in, in the government is the government theoretically doesn't produce anything. Right. What, what we have is we have these projects, we have these ideas and the government play pays the federal employees, you know, whatever their salary is. And most of those people are, I'd say a good 60 to 70% or some type of super supervisor of contracts mm -hmm. of organizations that get paid by the government to produce things. Mm -hmm. Right. And the majority of those pr products that these quote contractors are producing, believe it or not, the government doesn't own it. Right. You know, for instance, like code, like software code for Oracle may produce this product, but the government can't reproduce it. They can't take the code that Oracle said and, and take that and give it to another contractor and say, hey, you know, continue to do this, this issue. So that's another thing a lot of people don't understand is the government is good at doing one thing, printing money. Yeah, it's really what it is. Yeah. And the other thing that they're not supposed to do, I mean, they can create taxes, but they can't sell anything. Right. So how do they get by with selling health health insurance? I right. Don't That's the right. That's the lack. You know, like I said, you can't produce anything. Pr production yeah. means you have the ability to put a price on something, sell it and get some type of return. Right. There's government cannot do that. Can't do that. Nope. Can't well, do that. And in the Constitution, as we understand the government, that is not their responsibility. Right. However, mm -hmm. as you know, like we all know, that's that's obviously changed over you know hundred plus years easily on how the government has gone into this quote role of services of all types of services. Right. The federal government specifically. So yeah. Another thing I've, I've, I've discovered that, that, that really irritates me uh, is the, the Social Security Administration, the retirement funds. That was created in 1935 in order mm -hmm. to provide retirement for people. But over the years, it's, it, those revenues are included in the general budget. It's not separated out as a retirement fund. It's just regular old like taxes. And it's it's now it's not a retirement fund; it's an entitlement. Right. They, get, they give Social Security to people who never paid in uh, to it, and and they just use it for just about anything they want to do. And that just irritates the dickens out of me, because I've been paying in that uh, since I was 16 years old. I, you know, I still paying sure. in. Sure. Uh, so absolutely, it's, it's just a big um, a mis a misuse of funds. And over the years, they have dabbled 
if that's the word you want to use, into that budget line, yeah. borrowed or you know whatever word you want to use right. to you know fulfill what I call their port, port spending conceptual ideas. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and it happens all the time in the government. A lot of people don't understand there's three flavors of money in the government. Basically, the, the funding in the government is divided in three different areas, right? Mm -hmm. You have operational costs. It's called OMP money. It's basically money that you have. It's, and it's usually a re recurring, slowly increasing budget because of the inflation, right? But it's the cost to, it's the budget cost to, 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 to have that organization. Then you have funding for projects, right? And that's basically buying new things and, you know, uh, procuring contracts, et cetera. And then the third one, which believe it or not, is pretty, what well, used to be the most expensive part of this, right? And that's the research dollars mm -hmm. where you're, you're, you know, you're, you don't know what you're producing <laughs> until you pay somebody to tell you what you're producing. Yeah. So that's that's where it falls into place. Well, the crooked people have the ability in the federal government to shift those funds, even though the Constitution, the, the budget, OMP, all those guys, you know, are supposed to make sure that these things don't happen. Right. But these people that have been in this organization, better known as bureaucracy. You know, they know how to cover this stuff up and move it here, move it there. And that's that's pretty sad. Well, it, it is. And, and, and what, what you mentioned in there is that uh, when I looked at the look at the federal budget, the one that's published by the uh, uh, OMB uh, department, uh, you can't there's not an income statement. They, they just say, well, we're going to spend this for this and this for this and it goes through there. But there's not a page in the budget that says, here's the revenues that we're getting. And here's what we're spending in each of these departments to show a net loss or, and, and how much we're going to have to borrow against the federal debt. You won't see that in any of the budgets. So they're, they're just, no. they're, 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 they're hiding it is what they're doing. And what Absolutely. I've done is is to do a what I call a statement of cash flow, which is a general accepted accounting uh, practices, uh, yeah, financial statement. And if you put that, put the government uh, numbers in a statement of cash flow, you'll see that the taxes. And I've got three areas, kind of like what you said. You've got the operating expenses, and you've got investment activities, which which comes to uh, highways and stuff like that. Major major project right. and then the last one is uh, uh payments on the interest and in, in, mm -hmm. in federal debt and what you'll see if you put that on a statement of cash flow you'll see that that, that the taxes minus the operating expenses is a deficit so there's no funds for any investments or there's no funds for paying on the federal debt mm. so they have to borrow more money to cover the loss in operations, plus if they want to have and build highways and stuff like that, they've got to borrow for that too. But there's never any money that goes to pay on the debt. They just, just keep, and this has been happening since 2009, and we know yes, we, know, we know where that started. Absolutely, and the and, the, the the basic principles of counting, I think most most Americans that graduate even high school have an idea, right? Yep. There's only two ways to balance the budget that you have. One, reduce the spending that you spend, right? right. Or reduce the payments on things that you got to pay for, right? right. So, or, or, and, or, which is part of increasing your income. So you either got to increase your income or reduce the spending. The right. government does not ever want to reduce spending. No, they don't. That's the re it's, the, it's a mindset. They're saying, if I have to work off a shorter or smaller budget this year, how am I going to produce what you don't anyway, anyway, right. the same things that you did last year? Well, right. 25 depending on the organization, 25 
to 50% of the government agencies, the projects actually fail. They don't finish that project. They don't actually deliver, whether it's an airplane, you know, whatever it is, it never gets delivered. So all of that money doesn't have an outcome. It doesn't have a result at the end. Right. And okay, right. so they're saying, well, that's terrible. Well, no, let's think about how the government does. But I took that money. I paid a contractor. That contractor hired people. Those people fed their families. Therefore, it was cost effective. Right. That's that's the mindset that the government actually has. Right. Well, the, the, the thing that the government has over a business, I mean, it, uh, if a business starts increasing prices, uh, their sales are going to drop. Okay. People are not going to. Uh, exactly. But the government, all the government's got to do is raise taxes. I mean, they, they don't have any, there's no downside to them. What the hell? Yep. Um, and once you get appointed and or assigned, you, but, you, you can't get fired in the government. And a lot of people got to understand, there's no such thing as going, pack your trash, do not come in the building tomorrow. You better have about this much red tape reason behind that that person is not going to come back to work tomorrow, if right. you know what I mean. So, yeah. and normally they just ship them somewhere, you know. Oh, hey, just put him over there. They'll hide him for a while, and everything will be okay. Right. Well, how much how much more effective do you think it would be at the state level if if a lot of those things were at the state level, and we have people here in the state uh that's uh about a 30 40 minute drive uh we can go to their office and raise hell uh and get something done at the state level where we're something we can't get done at the federal level you just it, you just got you have no control whatsoever none absolutely so part, get, part two of that is most states have term limits of some kind yeah if not all of them have, you can only do so many terms as a representative as a, or an senator. So right. if they're not, you know, if if the organizational structure of that person is failing, right, you vote him out. Right. If, and if, if for whatever reason he's managed to, to reach a certain point, right, mm -hmm. the, the good news about term limits is there may be another person once that person cannot progress. Right. Now it's open, right? It's open to a whole lot of different brand new people. Um, and even if you, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or independent, but a lot of times a Democrat may end up getting or replacing that person. And it's a lot better person than that person that got that, that left. Right. But if you don't have any term limits, it's just, it's a continuous cycle of corruption. Right. Well, that was one of the fears of the, of the, of the founding fathers was that, that their fear was that if somebody went to the federal government, uh, they would, they would, if they were, I don't know how to put it, there was a real chance that they wouldn't do their job and they would, they would, they would do it in order to make themselves rich. Right. And that's what's happening. Yep. And I, to be, to be honest with you, Dr. Walker, I still do not understand why term limits was not put in the original constitution. I don't know. It really, it, I mean, I understand that you have, you have to kind of get reelected. So they had the two years and the six years in the Senate, you know, you can only, you know, and then, the president's term limits didn't come up until what 35, 32, yeah. somewhere around there or something yeah. before the president was actually term limited. Right. And that, how was that done by the people? Right. You know, the people yeah. through their legislation changed that, you know, yeah. let's see, that was when back when uh, I think uh, senators uh, were elected by the state legislatures. Absolutely. Not they were appointed. They were assigned, absolutely. basically. Yeah, right. they, they would got, vote. They, the they yeah, they state more, legislator. Yeah. A little more that 17th, 17th Amendment. And that, that should go away faster than we can blink an eye. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that that is part of how they foreseen you know, because the Senate, in my mind, the Senate is a lot more powerful 
than the House of Representatives are. Absolutely, absolutely. Because the Senate has the actual ability to to finalize and to get you know get it into law, and and have you know, and it's a kind of a smaller ratio, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of having a hundred, you know, and or let's say 125 liberals or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. That are populated in all these different states that you couldn't push them across the fence if you tried, right? At least if you have two senators, right? You can kind of work with those two people without, yeah. you know how hard it is to talk to a hundred people about a government problem or a bill. They never, these house representatives never have the ability to actually talk to each other other than, you know, sitting on the floor and complaining. But at least the senators, the majority of them, have the ability to, to actually have a personal conversation about the bill that they're going to pass, you know, sure. on both sides. So, And if we had a smaller government, uh, they would probably be in, in, uh, in their home state more often and, oh, more, yeah. and more accessible to, to the citizens. So, uh, you know, it, you put them on the spot pretty easy. Absolutely. So is there anything that uh, anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about today? Uh, let's see. I think we pretty well covered it. Oh, 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 one thing, one thing I wanted to mention. The name of our country. Yes, sir. It's not like any other country in the world. We're not Canada, we're not France, we're not Spain, we're not Russia, and we're not America. We're the United States of America, which means we are 50, 50 different governments within a government. Right. We've got 50 different things. With, we're, not one, we're not one country. If, if I'm making my point there. No, absolutely. We're, you know, we're a prime definition of what a true republic is. Right. What that means is if you have leaders in this federal environment that want to do X, right? Mm -hmm. The balance is because you have a republic, a state can say, hell no. Right. If you're in Canada, even though they have, you know, I guess they call them territories or something, right? Mm -hmm. They're all bound to that federal environment. Sure. Sure. And if they say we're going to pass a law that, you know, you can only have blue shotguns and anybody that doesn't have a blue shotgun gets arrested. It happens overnight in Canada. Yeah. United States can say, well, if you got a blue shotgun, then you're good to go. But if not, you're going to get arrested and then you're going to have people in Texas go come take my gun. And then, you know, the Texas state, you know, they're doing this all the time, you know, with the yeah, critical really. race theory. And now we're talking about Texas saying, okay, you don't want to solve this border problem. We'll take it on and just kick the federal government out of the state. You know, that's, yeah. I think what you're talking about, Dr. Walker, when you're saying the United States, you know, we have a dog and every state has a dog in the fight. A lot of people also to, to finish up that thought, when you go vote, when you pull a lever, right, you're representing your state. Correct. Whether it's whether you're voting for a senator, representative, whether you're voting for the president in the federal side, you're still representing your state. Right. Because once that person comes into that office, senator, representative in the federal legislation, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't hear this well. You know, a senator walks up to the podium and goes, my name's Bud Cornwell. I am the senator from, uh, where am I from? <laughs> they're from Arkansas or they're from New, New York and they're proud about, you know, what, what state that they're representing. Right. Right. It's not like, well, I'm just a senator because somebody made me a senator. No, Alabama, and go back to the 17th Amendment, specifically dealing with senator. If that senator wasn't producing what, the legislation Alabama was doing and what did they do? Pull them back, right? Yep. Recall them on the spot and say, Hey, we, 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 we got to replace you. You're not speaking for the people of Alabama. So. Right. 
Also, uh, I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if Dr. Meyer joined us or not early. I see a, somebody that has instructor profile. I don't know if that's a... She was going to listen in. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for being with us, Dr. Meyer. I don't know if you want to talk or say something to the audience here, but I appreciate both of you so much. Um, we got a long road to go. Sure do. What is... I want to say this on the microphone. Fortunately... I've been able to work with Convention Estates, and I think we'll be able to bring Dr. Walker and Dr. Meyer more involved into writing for us and producing some really good material so the Convention Estates audience supporters can get a better understanding of how this whole budget thing and how all this you know, department of whatever it is, you know, fits into the play of our country. And, and I personally want to thank you and Dr. Meyer for, for your time and your effort for helping us to do that. And when, not if, I'm telling you, when we get to that, oh, by the way, Pennsylvania filed today for the first time. Oh, they did. Oh, yeah. that's so it's just, oh yeah, it's it's coming, oh. it's coming, it's coming true. I mean, we're we're all that's over true. the all over these states now. It's amazing. Yeah. But but I will say this is when we do get there, uh wonderful patriots like you guys and are gonna be able to help us to understand how to really put the verbiage necessary together to, to turn this big Titanic. And right. I personally, I'm, I'm uh, very fortunate that I met you as a state director in Arkansas and was able to, to get you on board. And I thank you for your service to our country, specifically. You, you, well, you put in a lot more time than I did. <laughs> that's okay but but we're uh we're brothers in arms along with great friends and and we're part of what i think is the last stand and you might as well call us custard's last stand of liberty because that's about what it is this is the last stand of of bringing our country back into uh i call it putting it back on the railroad track because we've done you know knocked off a bunch of boxcars you know derailed a lot of stuff over the years and you know, it's uh, very difficult to go down a straight train anymore, you know. Well, I'm excited about the progress that you made, and I'm, I'm hoping that what I find in the, in, the, in, the, in the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution and, and the Federalist Papers, I put something together that maybe help push this forward a little bit. I appreciate that, sir. And last but not least, I would like for you to tell the audience the book that you wrote and the book that you and uh, Dr. Meyer co-wrote and so they can go out and get them. And it's awesome, especially the first one when you talk about from, I think it's called constitution to crisis. Right. And I tell you, when you start going through there and you look at the, what Dr. Walker has put together, it, it really kind of blows your mind when you're talking about those, those numbers and those, you know, un understandably, uh, massive massive debts that we're that we're facing but it's it's time we all as americans understand that and stop just <laughs> listening to the politicians and actually get that so yeah well the key to it is getting it down to a simple simple enough level to where people can understand it, it it's it's difficult stuff to do but uh <clears throat> it, it can be done and and the second book is make america great again the only way out and uh, it's, it's got three sections in it. Uh, the first part is, is constitutional stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's like 27 different chapters on, on things in there. And the second section of it is where we went wrong, things that we've done wrong, uh, as opposed to the Constitution. And the third, third thing is the only way out is what we can do uh to get this better and i think part of it is what what you guys are doing uh through the convention of states is is obviously the the biggest part of it but uh i think uh to kind of what trump had started uh was was part of the way out awesome so, uh, yes sir yeah. i absolutely agree uh we got to pray you know this is god's plan this is we're we're his soldiers in this fight and if enough of us in this country stand up i think we'll we'll go back in the grace of god and he'll understand 
forgive us for the failures that we've done over the years as far as uh, our country. No other country on this planet, and I dare anybody on the audience or anybody to tell me any different, because I absolutely know this to be true. No country on the face of this planet in the history of this world has ever done more for more countries no. than the United States, even our enemies. We have gone, had to do the fight. After we were done with the fight, what did we do? We built the country back up so that the people could be free. And no other country on the planet has ever done this. Sure and, uh, so my personal opinion, uh, we can't give up this fight. we got to continue to march forward until either Jesus Christ comes back and gets all of us and or we don't breathe any more air. So it's really that simple. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm encouraged. Yes, sir. Thank you again yeah. for your service and, Thank and you. looking forward to, to hopefully getting a chance to meet up with you. Yeah. You know, like soon. To. And if not, you know, maybe we can do another podcast and if you got any other things coming your way that you want to want to jump on this here microphone, it's all yours and we'd be glad to have you. Okay. Well, as far as I get into more research here, I'll probably have some more stuff to, to talk about, but I'm going to start, I'm going to start writing some stuff to help convince okay. Particularly in your in the three amendments that you guys are trying to to get in there. Yes, sir. And like I said, we'll get you connected with the comms team and okay. and uh, get you uh, get you uh, as a regular writer into okay. the the national blogs and stuff. So, right. We appreciate right. that. Well, have Thank a great you. evening, a great weekend, Doctor Meyer. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much for listening in, and we will talk to you guys later. All right. Thank you, bud. Yes, sir. You too. All right. Bye-bye. There you have it, patriots. The truth about the Constitution and the general welfare clause of this country. So maybe you have a little more knowledge so you can stand up, you can show up, and you can speak up. This is the Gunny out.